How's it going, everybody? All right, that good. We're having a good time so far in God's house. I know I am. My name is Ryan Alexander, and uh, I am one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and it truly is a privilege because I love what God is doing at this church, and I love who God has brought to this church. We believe the Lord led you here uh, at both of our campuses, Shakopee and Lakeville, and all of you joining us online, uh, you are part of this family we call Hosanna, did you get the friendly reminder? Some of you forgot it was Mother's Day last week, or next week, and so you need to know. I forgot, when is it? <laughs> uh, and so uh, you're making plans, and I hope you include church in your plans. It's a good way to celebrate Mother's Day, part of your Mother's Day celebration. It's also a good time to think about inviting somebody on Mother's Day. I would encourage you to think about that all the time. If you're a regular attender, we're always thinking, how can we invite that person who needs to know the love of God? And Mother's Day is a great time to do that. And I can tell you that our plans are already made because my wife's preaching. So um, she doesn't want burnt waffles anyway, so uh, we won't be bringing breakfast in bed. We probably will very early on Sunday morning. And I can tell you that she is a loving, dedicated mom. And she's very excited to share this message with you uh, next week. That, that we'll have some special themes, themes for moms, but won't just be for moms. So it'll be, it'll be for everybody. But because she's preaching, guess who has childcare duty? That would be me. Guess who is going to be in a lot of trouble for calling <laughs> child care duty? That would be me. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move right. This moves us nicely into our series called In the Ring, okay? In the Ring, we're talking about conflict, conflict. And we're not talking about how to eliminate conflict from our lives because that's, A, not possible, and B, not even healthy. Uh, we, we need to have healthy, godly, constructive conflict in our lives in order to grow in our relationships and, and personally, right? So it's not the goal to eliminate, but the goal is when those gloves go up, <laughs> we can go one of two directions. We can go in the direction of, of attack and blame and criticize and defend, or we can go in another direction, the direction that God has for us, where there is healthier, more godly, constructive conflict resolution. We want to reduce the amount of destructive conflict and, and increase the amount of healthy conflict resolution in our lives. Now, we, we uh, think about these series months in advance. We pray months in advance about these series. And then invariably, when we actually get into the series, uh, the Holy Spirit surprises us with some deeper insights than we maybe had months in, uh, prior. And, and certainly, the Holy Spirit sometimes emphasizes themes that we weren't planning on emphasizing maybe at all or quite as much. And that's tr certainly true this series. There, there's a theme that has emerged <laughs> that maybe is the most important thought when it comes to conflict resolution. And that is that conflict resolution doesn't start out there fixing others and working on others and dealing with external factors. It starts in here. <laughs> and when we talk about skills to, de to develop when it comes to conflict resolution, the most important skills start with the skills that, that are required to work on us. <laughs> and in fact, it is the biggest barrier the biggest barrier to resolving and reducing conflict in our lives is inside, not outside. We want to point the finger and look at things outside of us, but really, it starts, starts in here. We will never, 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 never get to a place where we, we are having less conflict and resolving conflict in healthier ways until we realize that it starts in here. This is what James said. James 4.1, there are a theme verse for this series, says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? <laughs> it, starts, it starts here. And we've been hearing this theme emerge throughout, this, throughout the series. It's not one we want to hear, but it's one we need to hear. 
right? Pastor Julia gave us uh, just an outstanding message last weekend. If you missed it, you should check it out. It was biblical, it was applicable, and it was helpful, really helpful. And the interview in particular she did with, with doctors Rose and Jim Busher, psychologists, and, and uh, Jim's a pastor with a doctorate. And, and how many of you have been humming that song or singing that song, Calm, Calm, Calm Your Brain? Just me. Okay, I've been doing that. Maybe I need to do that. Uh, we pulled that from them. But one thought that Pastor Julia shared that, that has stuck with me that I maybe just needed to hear more than any uh, of the points. They were all good, but, but it was this one. That we are to, if we're going to resolve conflict and reduce conflict in our lives, we have to value the relationship more than being right. Catch that? We have to value the relationship more than being right. Pastor uh, Bill Boleyn, our founding pastor and my mentor, he, he, he says it this way. He says, it is better to be loving than right. It is better to be loving than right. He, he says that that's when he had a breakthrough in his marriage. That he didn't need to fix his wife. He needed to love her, love her. So love is at the very center of this conversation about conflict resolution. That, that our capacity to love, being able to love freely and fully in, in our lives will have a direct impact on how we are working through conflict in our lives. Love. But here's the thing. There's a barrier inside of us that, that keeps us from loving as fully as, as we could. There, there's, there's a barrier that, that keeps us from, from reaching that full capacity to love. And Jesus is going to teach us about that barrier, but also, in God's word, we're going to see how that barrier can be broken down, and, and we can learn to love more freely, and therefore, work through conflict more constructively in our lives. So we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go a little old school here. I hope this is okay with you. Uh, and in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel this morning, and, uh, and we do that out of reverence for God's word every once in a while. We don't do it all the time. Uh, but some of you grew up in churches like this. So I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel according to St. Luke. And if you really want to go old school, when I'm done reading it, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. All right? You can join in with that. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him himself, If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed, has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes about forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you are having flashbacks to the church you grew up in. That's all right. That was my church too. <laughs> but aren't we grateful for God's word? Aren't we grateful for his word? And where we're going to take uh, this word from here is we're going to hit three bases. For, so for you baseball fans, we're going to hit three bases. The first base, we're going to walk back through that passage again and hit some, some verses again. And we're going we're to pull out some deeper insights, particularly into uh, relationships and conflict. And then that's, that's first base. Second base, uh, we're going to look, take a closer look at that story that Jesus tells about 50, the, the one who owed 50 pieces of silver and the one who owed 500 and we're going to take a closer look because as we take a closer look, we'll find ourselves in the story. You're in the story. I'm in the story. And then third, third base, uh, we're going to ask some questions about how it applies to our lives. And then we'll bring it home and we're going to have communion together this morning. All right? Sound good? All right. So if you have your Bibles, open them again or open them up to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. The words will be on the screen too. But I want to read those first couple of verses again because they really set the scene for what's happening here. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. The literal translation says, sat down to meet, like eat meat. And we're like, yes, guys, we like that. Okay. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating or meeting there, uh, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, which was common for women to carry around these expensive perfumes around their neck in a jar. So I just want to make sure everyone gets who's in this, this account, in this story. We've got Jesus, for one. We're pretty sure we have some idea, most of us some idea who, who he is. But a Pharisee, uh, not all of us know that term. A Pharisee was a religious teacher in Jesus' day, someone who was committed to following the letter of the, the law, the religious law, to the T. And because of that, the Pharisee felt like he was, and they were always he's, uh, felt like he was morally superior. And in a way, by the world standards, he was, but in his mind, he was morally superior. And then, so that's the Pharisee, and then we have this immoral woman, okay? Uh, the, the literal Greek means sinful, but not just an average sinner, a really excellent sinner, okay? Someone who's really good at sin, all right? This immoral woman. And she, and she was, we infer this, we don't know for sure, but she may have been a prostitute. She was, she was an immoral person, an immoral woman. So we've got, we've got the Pharisee on one hand and the immoral woman. And, and it's important for us to take note of a couple of things. One is, notice how with Jesus, those two come together, right? We've got this Pharisee, morally superior, and we've got this immoral woman, this exceptional sinner. And Jesus is with both, brings both together. And that's a thought for us as Jesus followers that we too should be people who bring people together and we should spend time with both. Jesus did. The other thing to start taking note of is that immediately people in this, in this passage are put into two corners, if you will. The sinful and the sinless. You know, those who sin more and those who sin less. 
And what we're going to see here is that, that Jesus doesn't necessarily see people that way. We do, in our eyes, in our standards, we've got different corners, but, but according to Jesus, everyone's in the same ring. Verse 38, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm not going to read it again, but, but what happens here is nothing short of scandalous in the eyes of the Pharisee, at least. This woman touches Jesus, who many are starting to see as a rabbi. A good rabbi, Jewish rabbi, would never have been touched by a woman in public, let alone an immoral woman like this. And, and not only that, she's, she's let her hair down, which was a sure sign of immodesty, all right? So those women who let their hair down today, don't worry, that's not the standard today. But then, it was like, that is very immodest. And so this was scandalous. And so the Pharisees thinking, thinking, if this guy is really a prophet, he should know who's coming in and touching his feet. And why is he, she is a sinner, and he should tell her to get lost. That's what he's thinking. I love this, I love this, verse 40. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Can we just stop there for a minute? <laughs> you just see, you know, after Jesus proceeds to tell him exactly what he was thinking, he, he's going, wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I mean, how does he know that? How does he know that? Right, there are Jedi mind tricks, and then they're like, what Jesus can do, may the fourth be with you, <laughs> right? But this is, whoa. And I just offer this thought, if you ever think, I'm just kind of alone with my thoughts. Think again. <laughs> Think again. Because Jesus, he's reading his mind. And he says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now, I, the question that occurred to me when I read that is, how do, how do you think Jesus said that? I have something to say to you? Do you think he said it harshly and in and, and anger? Do you think he said it timidly or like a, you know, mousey kind of way? I don't think it was either. I think Jesus is modeling something really important for us here, especially when it comes to conflict resolution. It would be amiss if we didn't talk about this word in a series on conflict resolution, and the word is assertive. Jesus is very assertive with Simon the Pharisee right here. He said, I have something to say to you. I don't think he did it in anger. I don't think he did it, you know, passively or like, hey, Simon, would you mind listening to something I have to say? It's assertive, it's direct, it's speaking the truth in love. It is not Minnesota nice, right? But it's not East Coast harsh either, right? It's, it's not attacking, it's not avoiding. And, and we fall into those two gutters sometimes when we're trying to communicate with people in conflict. We're attacking, we're attacking, we're attacking. We're going after, boom, 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 the gloves are up. But avoiding can be just as destructive passive aggressive behavior where it comes out in other ways it comes out sideways or we talk, we gossip or we you know just kind of stew over just as destructive jesus is modeling for us direct conversations like pastor julia talked about last week speak the truth in love i really believe that a lot of us including me could afford to think about what this means in our relationships what's that assertive conversation not angry but not avoidance that we need to have with somebody speak the truth in love I realize that some situations are so broken that you may need a mediator, like an assertive mediator who will help with that. But, but, but there is a time and a place to be assertive, to speak directly and in love. I had someone do that with me this past week, just share their heart with me in love, but had something to say where I had hurt him. And, and I was like, thank you. When, when someone's speaking the truth in love and it's assertive, not angry or, or avoiding, passive aggressive, you say thank you to that. It's a gift. I could go on and on. Jesus models for us right there. And then Simon, go ahead, teacher. How did he say that? Probably very timidly. 
And, and then there's a story, and we're going to come back to this story in a minute. But the verse I want to camp out on, on for just a moment here is, is verse 47. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. This is it. I mean, this, this is the core, this is the key, that the, the barriers that, that get built up in our relationships and keep us from resolving conflict, that keep us in cycles of conflict. This is at the core. This is at the core. And this is how the barrier can start to be broken down. And it's this simple thought, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. The one who has been forgiven little loves little. And, and, and I want to assure you that no one's going to be left out on this one here, okay? There's room for everyone to play in this one because it, it is about all of us. See, some of, some of us, we struggle to feel forgiven much. There are some of us in this room. And then there are some of us who forget that you have been forgiven much and you still need to be forgiven much. We forget. We're all in this together. And this is where the story comes in. Jesus is so good at telling stories. And I want to retell it with a slightly different twist because we have this boxing ring on stage, okay? So we've got two people, the, the one who owes 50 and the one who owes 500. So in this corner of the ring, there is the debtor who owed 500 denarii, okay? And a, and a, and a, a denarii or denarius is, is the equivalent of, of one day's wage for a laborer. So 500 would be a year and a half worth of wages. In this corner is one who owes a whole lot by world standards. 500 denarii, a whole lot. In this corner, in this corner, we have one who owes 50 denarii. Still a lot, a month and a half worth of wages, but, but maybe not as much as, as a 500. So we've got two corners, people in two corners. So I want to ask you, who's who from, from the actual story that Jesus, you know, is interacting with these people? Who, who's, who's the 500 and who's the 50? The woman and the Pharisee. Who's the 500 that owes 500? The woman. And, and the one that maybe owes 50 that maybe sins less and morally superior, at least in the world's eyes, is the Pharisee. That's who's who in, in, from the passage. So who's who in the room? Point to a person who you think is more sinful in the room. You, know? you don't want to do that? How about let's divide the room into more sinful people and less sinful people. Should we do that? Get up if you think, no. But if we were to do that, maybe we, maybe we could, again, by one standard, but it would be a false divide. It would be a false divide. Because, see, we put people into corners. Jesus doesn't see it that way. We, we put people into different corners but we're all in the same ring. We're all in the same boat when it comes to God's perspective. And, and, and it gets confusing because we're, whatever corner we find ourselves in, and I would encourage you to start looking for yourself in the story here, wherever, whichever corner we're in, we're saying some of the same things. They just de mean different things. Like in this corner, we might be saying, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe that, that, that I've messed up that much, that I, I have spent so much of my life, I'm an exceptional sinner. I can't believe that I could be forgiven like the story tells us. Or in this corner, we, same thing, we might be saying, I can't believe it. 
I can't believe that I would actually need to, I mean, I'm not that, I don't need forgiveness, really. I mean, I'm not that bad. And this, this corner might be saying, oh, it's too good to be true. It is too good to be true. That someone with my track record, my past, could be forgiven this much. In this, in this corner, someone might be saying, it's too good to be true. In fact, I'm too good to be true. You know, I'm too good for it to be true. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, right? I don't, you know, I'm a good enough person. We have two corners here, two different perspectives. What does this have to do with conflict resolution? I tell you, it has everything to do with conflict resolution. In fact, it's right there at the center again. It's right at the center. If we, if we don't start to get this, we will never come closer to people and work through conflict the way that God wants us to. We got, we've got two corners, and, and these two corners create attitudes and mindsets and perspectives on the world and on other people that, that lead to conflict. This person over here in this corner is saying, I, I, never, I can never feel good enough. I can never feel forgiven enough. I can never feel clean enough. I always feel inferior to other people as I try to have relationships with them. There's shame that covers, and you know what shame does? When people feel shame, they're hiding, and the gloves go up, and they are just as likely to attack, blame, criticize, defend, because because they just can't deal with what's behind that shame, or they don't know how, right? The one who is forgiven little loves little. This person over here is, is thinking, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I, in fact, when I compare myself to other people, I'm looking really good, right? I used to call in youth ministry the, the better than game. We're always playing the better than game in our mind to make us feel better because we think, yeah, I mess up, but at least I'm not as bad as that person across the ring or next door or in the office, right? You know what that leads to? Not shame, but pride and self-righteousness. And, and, and we're just as quick to attack and blame and criticize and defend. Right? Because how dare someone say that we're not this you know, morally superior person to them? How dare they? The person who is forgiven little loves little. Loves little. See, what Jesus does is, is he levels the playing field. He, he says, you know what? You think there are corners? <laughs> but did you, you, did you hear it in the passage? Neither one, neither debtor could repay the master, neither one. They, they both were completely at a loss, completely dependent upon the master forgiving them. There's this verse in Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the standard is not, that we're comparing ourselves to is not other people's sinfulness or how good they are, or how bad they are. The, the standard is how we measure up to God's holiness, to God's glory, to God's perfection. See, that's why we end up in corners because we're comparing ourselves to other people. They're better than me or I'm better than them. And God goes, you know what? Compared to my holiness, you're all really in the same boat. I was thinking about it this way, that uh, the difference between this level of sinfulness and this level of sin sinfulness in God's eyes it's like the difference between taking a BB gun and a slingshot on a bear hunt, right? Is either one gonna help you all that much in killing the bear? Nope. <laughs> or it's, it's like, 
uh, you and Michael Jordan back in his prime, okay, not your prime, but his prime, having a jumping contest. He's going to beat you by a few feet, maybe 10 feet, I don't know. But if the standard is, God's holiness, the standard's, let's say, jumping to the moon, does it matter how much Michael Jordan can outjump you? It does, it, from the moon, it does, you can't even tell. It's the same. You see it? We are all, we put ourselves in different corners, but we are all in the same place, in the same ring. Man, this makes a huge, this perspective makes a huge difference when it comes to relationships. Because when you, when you're able to see that, hey, we're all human, we're all flawed, we all have issues, as Pastor Jim said last week, I mean, let's just meet in the middle here and acknowledge that we all kind of, you know, mess up from time to time and we're all imperfect. Then you can start working things out. But when you stay in your corners, conflict, the cycles of conflict just keep going and going and going and going and going. I know, just to share personally, and Jen can correct me next week if she feels like she needs to, but I think I'm right here, that our conflict cycle for so long was Jen, because she is a really good person, okay, Tell her I said that. Had to come to terms with the fact that she needed forgiveness as much as anybody. And I struggle over the course of many, many years of feeling worthy enough, of feeling good enough, of feeling like I never measured up, which created shame. And that caused me to attack and blame and criticize and defend. And, and so we've had breakthroughs in our lives in recent years, and we've met in the middle. Said, hey, we're both sinners, you know? We're both sinners in need of God's grace. We're both redeemed children of God. <laughs> who need him just as much. Some, some, some people have been asking after these services, well, what about the person who won't come to the middle? You know, maybe you have someone in your life, you're willing to come to the middle and acknowledge, hey, I'm imperfect, I'm gonna own my part, but they continue to attack and blame and criticize and defend. And at that point, I know it's a simple thought, all you can do is all you can do. I mean, it takes two to tango when it comes to conflict resolution, but, but what it means to tango is to come to the middle come out of your corners. And because we, the truth is, the fact is, God's fact for us is that we're all in the middle. We all equally need his grace. We all equally need his forgiveness. Is it, that this is true of all of us. We all need a champion. We all need someone who is in our corner. We all need to know that God is for us, that he gets in the ring and that he's bloodied and battered and, and bruised and, and he gets knocked down the cross and he, he, he gets back up again in victory in the resurrection so that we can know how much we're forgiven. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know what, what Jesus has done for you to remove however big your bag is, because in his eyes it doesn't really make any difference, to remove our debts, to to release us from our debts, to free us, forgive us. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Because those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. And our capacity to love, how we are able to love freely and fully will directly impact how we can work through conflict in our lives. How does this, let's, let's go there. How does this apply to our lives? Just three questions I wanna put in front of each of us because this is for all of us. And the first question is, and I think you'll see it, are you a 50 or a 500? <laughs> in, in your eyes. You know, are, are, you, are you 50 or 500? Are you someone who, you know, you've mostly gotten it right, and so you sometimes forget that your stuff stinks too and that you actually need forgiveness too? <laughs> or, or are you someone who's over here, 500, and you're always struggling to feel like, oh, man, I, 
I'm never going to measure up, and I, I, I just can't believe it. It's, it's too good to be true. If that's you, by the way, hear it. It is true, and it is so good, and it's for you. <laughs> Where are you? And then what barriers has it created inside of you? Either one. Does it, either, either perspective creates barriers. It creates barriers inside of you that keep you from loving as fully. You know, on this side, it's the shame. It's, it's, it's feelings of inferiority. Over here, it is the pride and the sense of superiority to others, which really is just based on a very, very, very faulty set of assumptions because in God's eyes, we're all here in the middle. And you know, here in the middle, we are at the center of God's affection and his love. What, 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 is, what do those barriers look like for you? And then, don't just stop there. What are the next steps to take? What are the next steps that you can take to knowing that you are forgiven much so you can love much? This could go in a lot of different directions. In fact, a different direction for each one of us. But there is a next step that God would invite you to take. Maybe it, maybe it is counseling. We talked about that last week. And I'm just of the opinion, I've said this before, I'll say it again, every human being on the face of the planet would benefit from counseling at some point. And you know what? You've earned at least one person's respect, mine, if you do that. Because we all have stuff. Some more, some others, but we all have stuff. God's word is always a good next step. <laughs> always a good next step. Because if we're here and we're, it's self-defeating and we feel like we can't, God will lift us up. If we're over here and we're sitting on our high horse, God's word will humble you <laughs> when you need it. I think about Paul, who in the New Testament, he wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, you could argue that other than Jesus, he's the most influential you know, person in the history of Christianity. You know what he says about himself? He calls himself the chief of sinners. Does that mean that he thought he was the worst sinner to ever live? I don't think so. I think he just understood that he's not comparing himself to other people. He's comparing himself to God's holiness. God's perfection. So God's word, let's, let me read a couple more verses here from that passage. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That word saved, the Greek word is sozo. This word may be familiar to you. Sozo means Saved, but it also means healed and delivered. We have, we have a ministry here, a prayer ministry here called Sozo. And it could be a great next step for, for many of you. Let me, let me read this. I asked our prayer ministry, ministry team to write something that would just give a very simple explanation of Sozo. I, I wanted you to hear it from them. It says, Sozo is a simple, safe, and effective form of healing, inner healing prayer. In the past seven years of Sozo at Hosanna, we have seen close to 1,000 people experience God's grace and be able to forgive and or be forgiven through this ministry. <laughs> forgiven much, love much. We and I strongly recommend Sozo, particularly for those who are wanting to go deeper in their relationship with God and perhaps feel stuck, which pretty much applies to all of us at times, right? <laughs> wanting to go deeper and feeling stuck. Maybe that's a next step for you. And, and maybe the next step that all of us are invited to take is to step into God's forgiveness a little bit more. Because here's it. There, there are so many miracles in the, in the Bible that we read about. And we believe that what happened then can happen today, right? And I'm talking about physical healings. I'm talking about relational healings. Um, I had someone come up to me the other day and say, you remember when you prayed for me a couple weeks ago and I had to stop and remember? But I remember and she said, you prayed for my back and said the next day it was healed. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. And physical healings are miracles. 
but, but, but the forgiveness of sins that this woman receives, <laughs> the spiritual healing, see, physical healings will last for a lifetime and they're miraculous and they're good and they're amazing, but spiritual healing will last for eternity. The forgiveness of sins will last for eternity, forever and ever and ever. That's how much you've been forgiven, forever. <laughs> I told you I'd share this story. At the, the first week of the series, I had these boxing gloves on. I said, I'll, I'll tell you the story later. And the story behind these boxing gloves is that they were owned by, by a man named John. And John uh, was a huge fan of the Rice Street rocker, Mike Evgen. Does anyone remember him? I think it was the 80s. <laughs> He, he was, he's in the Minnesota Boxing Hall of Fame, and he grew up on Rice Street in St. Paul, and so did John. And so John was a huge fan of the Rice Street rocker. But, it, but in, in April of 2016, John was diagnosed with cancer, a very serious form of cancer. And so someone gave him these boxing gloves, one that said the Rice Street rocker, and the other that said knockout punch for cancer. And John did, did fight for six months before he went home to be with the Lord. But when he found out he was diagnosed with cancer, this is what he said. He, 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 and, and others have said this, it's like become a rally cry at Hosanna. When he found out he had cancer, he said this simple phrase, either way, I win. Either way, I win. I'm in a win-win situation because I know I have spiritual healing, spiritual forgiveness. I've been forgiven much. And I'm going to live forever with him. And so he fought like crazy, and then he went home. He won. He went home to be with Jesus. Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Because those who have been forgiven much, and we can all feel this much, this much forgiveness, those who are forgiven much love much. And those who love much work through relationships. They put relationships before being right. They're able to work through conflict in healthy, godly ways. Do you know how much you're forgiven? In communion, we get to experience God's love and God's forgiveness. And so we're gonna enter into a time of communion, the sacrament, the sacred act we call communion. I'm gonna hand off to Pastor Tony and Shakopee for communion there.